1 Timothy chapter number 4, and then while you're there, if you'll just uh, put your finger there and turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and then if you would also find your place in Matthew chapter number 20, 26, where we were this morning, for 1 Timothy chapter number 4, Matthew chapter number 36, and 1 Corinthians chapter number 4, if you'll just put a piece of paper or a bookmark in each of those places. I'm going to use those verses, those texts to introduce the message this evening, and then uh, we're going to have to turn to a lot of Scripture. I've got about 14 other Scripture references that we'll turn to uh, here this evening, and so we're going to really be through the Word of God and um, do a Bible study here this evening. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter number 4, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Does that concern you? Does that concern you? The Bible says in latter times some are going to depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Boy, that, that bothers me. That concerns me. There'll be some that's forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them, which believe and know the truth. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians, if you would, please. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. In 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor that Paul is, has uh, uh, trained up, and he sent him to Ephesus to pastor the church there. And Paul in 1 Corinthians is writing to the church at Corinth. This is a church that when Paul was there, they... They, a, they responded well to the gospel. They uh, turned their lives toward the Lord and began to serve the Lord. But Paul is writing 1 Corinthians back to the church to let them know that the lifestyle they're living is wrong. He's not writing 1 Corinthians to say to them, hey, great job, keep up the good work. He's writing to them to warn them, to warn them. And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter number 4, verse number 14, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved son, I warn you. He says, I don't write these to bring you shame and, and cause you to, 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 to be upset. And I warn you with these things. And he writes this entire book here telling them that what they're doing, living in sin and, and enjoying the pleasures of sin, it's not the way that a Christian ought to live. It's a stern warning. I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter number 26 as we read this morning. Matthew chapter number 26. And I want you to see with me in verse number 38, if you would please. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. He's asking his disciples, as we saw this morning, to watch, to stay up. Take serious what is happening here in the life of Christ. He says this, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Well, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but thou, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me an hour? He says in verse number 41, Watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again in the second time and prayed, 
saying, oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. He left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words, and cometh to his disciples and saith unto them, sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. As reading and studying that text all week long and I shared with you this morning oftentimes I would say to the Lord I need tell me what you want me to see in this passage of scripture it's a passage of scripture that probably for many in this room you've read and you've studied and you've heard messages preached out of and I kept coming back to this thought of them sleeping of them sleeping in hearing the disciples here, they, the Bible says that their, their eyes were heavy. And Brother Savage and I were talking this afternoon about this text. And he said the disciples had been through a lot. They were probably tired. And, and I said this, you know, Lord was flesh as well. He was human, human as well. And he went through even greater than the disciples were going through. He knew, he knew what was going to happen. That stress and that, that thought of what he was about ready to go through, yet, yet he knew the importance of it and he committed himself to prayer. And disciples, they just slept. The most important event that was going to happen in their entire life, and they weren't aware of it, they slept. And then, and then he says something that I find so interesting. He says to his disciples after the third time coming to him, look what he says, sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. I picture him coming to those disciples that first time and he's heavy in spirit. He's agonizing with the Lord. If this cup can pass, let it pass. I don't know why he went back to his disciples. I don't know if he went back for encouragement. I don't know if he went back to pray with them. I don't know if he went back to, to, to find comfort in them. But whatever he went back for, he didn't get from them because they were asleep. He prays again, and this second time he prays, he's not praying, let this cap pass from me now. He, what he's saying is this, this is the will, Father, and obviously this is what needs to happen, so let it happen. Your will be done. He goes back a second time, and he finds the disciples again sleeping. They're asleep. He says to Peter, you couldn't, you couldn't wait an hour? I couldn't find you faithful, watching and praying an hour. He comes back the third time after he's praying an agonizing prayer. He comes back and he says to them, he doesn't wake them up and say, I want you to watch and pray. He says, sleep on. Because the opportunity for them to watch and pray is now over. They missed it. The opportunity for them to help and encourage, it's now over. It's gone. There was no need now. What he said this, what? Uh, 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 sleep on, take your rest. The hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. 
thought to myself as I read that passage of Scripture. Could you imagine what was going through Christ's heart? It's too late now. You had your chance. And you missed it. You missed the opportunity to pray. You missed the opportunity to watch. It's gone. I want to give you several things here this evening, just a list of things, not necessarily an outline, but just a list of things that I want to give to you here with some Scripture references with And If you can't follow along, keep up with the Scripture, just write these things down and, and then go back and study these throughout the week. I think it would make a good study for us throughout this week. I don't want to miss... I don't want to miss anything that God has for me. I don't mean blessings. I think sometimes, Christian, we live the Christian life so that we receive blessings. We live so that God blesses us, and we, we pray that God blesses, and, and I'm, I'm guilty of that as well. But I'm not talking about we miss out on what God wants us to have. What I'm saying is, I believe this, we miss out on the opportunities that God has for us to do his business. I think we miss out on opportunities to serve him. I think we miss out on opportunities to glorify him. I think we miss out on our opportunities to proclaim him. I think we miss out on our opportunities to share Christ with others. I believe this. We miss out opportunities. And many a times, like the disciples, it's because we're found sleeping. You know, there are some, there are some that we never get another chance with. I believe there's opportunities the Lord gives us that we may never, that we may never have a second chance with. I have, I have witnessed to people. I, I remember a fellow when I was on staff at a church in Cincinnati. I, uh, there was a fellow that we, uh, his, we were picking his children up for church and we went in to, uh, visit him. And boy, this guy was, he was a, a truck driver and, and, uh, uh, was, was spent his life, a, a hard, hard life on the road. Long-distance truck driver. And when I met him, I mean, he looked, he looked rough. I mean, he looked like he had a rough life. I'll never forget, as I met him, I first walked to his house. We were visiting him, and he wanted nothing to do with us. We were from the church. His fellow was sitting there on the chair, and he had his drink in his hand, and, and uh, pretty much, you can pick my kids up, but just don't come talk to me about that stuff. Well, his wife, his wife began coming to church and all of a sudden, one, one Sunday, I, I looked up and there he was sitting in the auditorium on the Sunday morning and I made a beeline for him and, and, uh, thanked him for being there and went to his house and visited him and, and thanked him again for being there and, and was able to witness him. He listened, he listened to that, uh, salvation message and he trusted Christ as a savior. And I mean, this guy got saved. He didn't miss, he didn't miss the church service after that. I mean, he, he didn't, he, he, he was going to, to, to soul winning on, on, uh, uh, the Monday evening. He, he was not missing the church service. If he could get involved in something, he got involved in it. I mean, he got gloriously saved. I remember the time he came in, he says, I haven't smoked a cigarette and I haven't drank a beer in three days. I said, Amen. Keep it up. Just after he got saved, within a month or so after he got saved, he found out that he had yeah, liver disease. And within several months, he was dead. 
I stood there in the hospital room as he was hooked up to all the machines with his wife and with his mother and with his family. I stood there and watched him take his last breath there and, and his life ended. And I thought to myself, this man almost missed it. He almost missed it. But there were some, some, some bus workers that, that uh, would get up every Saturday morning and they'd go into trailer parks and they'd go into uh, um, uh, different neighborhoods and they'd go into apartment complexes and they'd knock on doors and they'd say, hey, we want to pick you up for church tomorrow. And, and they'd get up early in the morning and even in the cold weather and they'd start those buses and they'd sit on those buses as it was really, really cold and really, really hot. And, and they went in, they picked up those boys and girls and they brought them in and there were Sunday school teachers that taught those children and there were junior church workers that, that taught those little boys and, and there, were, there were soul winners that went out and visited their home and, and there were people that, that would not stop until somebody that you never thought would get saved, he eventually trusted Christ as a Savior and within months at his funeral at the church. He almost missed it. I wonder how many people I wonder how many people like that are sitting there that need someone to go, that need someone to tell, that need someone to serve, but Christians are asleep. They're asleep. I want to give you several reasons this evening why I believe what causes the Christian to sleep. I want you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 119, please. Psalm 119. I want you to listen. I want, to do, I want you to do your best to listen here this evening as we look at each of these Scripture verses. Psalm 119, verse number 165. Psalm 119, verse number 165. The Bible says this, in Psalm 119, verses 165, the Bible says this, Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter number 18, if you would, please. Proverbs chapter number 18. In verse number 19, Proverbs 18, 19. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. You know, the disciples were there to do watch and to pray. Christ had a plan for them. He desired for them to be a help and be a, a blessing and, 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 and to watch and pray at a time where Christ needed them to do that. And I believe this, Christ is still, there's a job, there's an opportunity for each and every one of us as New Testament believers, there is an opportunity for us to serve Christ. There's a great need. Would you, would you say amen this evening to the fact that there is a great need in this hour, in this moment, for us as Christians to be, to be actively doing what God desires for us to do? We can't sleep. We can't take a break. But I believe this. I believe this, that many... Many Christians, many Christians that once maybe were excited for the Lord, one, many Christians that once were serving the Lord, many Christians that once had took every opportunity they could to do the Lord's work, many now are asleep or many aren't taking that opportunity because they have become offended. Proverbs tells us this. 
tells us this. Let me read this again. In verse number 19, a brother offended is harder to be one than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Once a person becomes offended, it's very difficult to restore them. Now, listen, if you've been in church for more than a week or two, you have had an opportunity to be offended. Would you say amen to that? Come on. You're either sleeping or you're offended right now. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've, been, you've had an opportunity to be offended. I mean, somebody, somebody didn't talk to you the right way or somebody didn't shake your hand or, 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 or the preacher did this or one of the deacons did that or the, the piano player, you know, he went across the piano, you know, when he was playing. I mean, it's somebody, somebody did something. They clapped while you didn't want to clap or, or I mean, something happened that you got offended. And maybe, maybe you even got offended and it was, it was real. I mean, it's not something easy that, that we joke about, but maybe somebody truly said something something to you they shouldn't have said. Maybe somebody looked at you and, and had a look they shouldn't have had. Maybe someone said something that they shouldn't have said, and it's caused you to be offended. And it's caused you to take some steps back. And instead of serving, instead of watching, instead of praying, instead of being involved, what you said in your heart was, I, I don't think, I don't think I can be involved like I used to be. It's hard to have passion anymore and care anymore. And listen to me, being offended in conflict, it is a part of life. And unfortunately, it takes place in the church. And there is no perfect place that you could go to where you're not going to get offended. That's why the Bible says, great peace have they that love thy law and nothing shall offend thee. How do I keep from being offended? Stay in the word of God. How do I keep myself from falling asleep and going back and not watching and praying at a time where I need more than ever to watch and pray because the Lord, he's coming again and it's going to be too late. There's not going to be another opportunity for me to go out and serve. There's not going to be another opportunity for me to give. There's not going to be another opportunity for me to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. There's going to be a time where I can't serve anymore, but until then, I can't get offended. How do I stay from being offended? I stay in God's word. Many sleep. Many sleep because they have been offended. I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter number 1. We're going to be all over the scripture, so 1 John chapter number 1. 1 John chapter 1. Turn to chapter 1 John chapter 1. I want you to see in verse number four. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him declaring to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. First, I believe this, that many, many can sleep. Many get into a place where they're not watching, they're not praying because they're offended. Secondly, I believe this, many Christians, if we're not careful, we get to a place where we lose our, our uh, uh, we no longer serve because we've lost our joy. We've lost our joy. I was telling Brother Savage this afternoon, I don't know. 
I don't know what happened in a church that my parents were at when I was six years old, but I know this, something was happening. I mean, I sense, as a small boy, I sense the Spirit of God working. I couldn't tell you what was preached. I, I couldn't tell you what was said. I can just tell you there was something about that place, and the Spirit of God was working. I remember my parents bringing the family, my brother and my sister and I, down to the altar and, and weeping and praying. And I remember thinking, what is going on here? And I, I peeked up like any six-year-old boy would do to try to figure out what was going on. And across the platform, across the platform, all across the platform, there were fathers and mothers with their children, and they were praying. And it seemed like to me the entire church was praying. I told him, I remember, I remember as a small boy, now it, it, it looked, it, as a boy, it seemed like maybe it was 25 feet high, the baptismal tank, it was probably only about 10 feet high, but as a six-year-old, you know, thinking that thing looked high, and I remember the baptismal waters were constantly being stirred. I remember that. I don't know why I remember, I just remember. I remember during Easter, it was exciting, and, and we were only there for a, a year, little over a year, and so we were only there one Easter service, but as a six-year-old boy, I remember that Easter service, one, one person got up and, and sang a song that he, he's alive. How many remember that song, He's Alive? Want me to sing it for you? No, you don't. I remember, I remember someone got up and sang that song, and I remember how exciting it was. I remember the place was packed out. There was a Christian school there, and, and uh, uh, they, they were building, building on to the high school because it was growing. And that same very year that they were building, they bought a public school, an old public school building, because the school was growing so much, they had to move into another school building, the high school, and keep the elementary in the other place. I mean, it seemed like everything about that ministry was going forward. It just seemed like it was incredible, and God was working. Several years ago, I wanted to go back to the place I got saved. We were visiting my parents in Michigan, and Michelle and I drove over to that, to that church on a Sunday night. And it was nothing, nothing like I remembered. There was just a few people. I drove up there. Brother Savage asked me to preach his mother's funeral and she was funeral home was just a few miles from this church and I was up there a little bit ago and I drove up in the middle of the day I wanted to find out what was going on at that church and and uh, I drove up to the church and I found out this the school is closed and the buildings are all all sold and and uh, they're looking for a pastor and the church is just down to a handful of people looked like it was falling apart I mean, shingles were missing, and the parking lot had weeds in it. I just thought to myself, how? How does that happen? How does a church go from being vibrant? How does a church go to where a six-year-old remembers events that are going on in the church? How does it go from the Holy Spirit of God moving and, and people getting their hearts right and revival taking place? How does that happen? I'll tell you, one way it happens is this. The, the people of God lose their joy and serving the Lord is no longer 
something they enjoy doing. It becomes a chore. It becomes a chore. They've lost their joy. I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 21, if you would, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 21. You with me? Everyone else with me? 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. In verse number 21. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you and that I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanliness and fornication, lasciviousness, what they have committed. Number one, they're offended. Number two, they've lost their joy. Number three, when the Christian has unconfessed sin. When the Christian has unconfessed sin. When the Christian begins to play church. When the Christian thinks that they can serve God and continue in sin, it's not long before they're deceiving themselves and they're no longer serving God. They think they've got it all under control. They think that they've got it hidden. But you can't, you can't serve two masters. Eventually, eventually, you're going to begin to sleep when it comes to things of God. No, listen to me. Listen to me. There was a time, I know there was a time, maybe, maybe you were excited and you were in, in, involved. And now, now there is something that is sn- uh, snuck in your life. There's something that now is controlling you. There's something that you're addicted to. Something that you are giving your flesh to. Something that your flesh is controlling and no longer are you controlled by the Spirit of God. No longer are you hearing the Holy Spirit speak to you. No longer is He convicting you. No longer is He working your life. No longer as you pray and as you read, the Holy Spirit of God is ministering to you. No, no longer because there's unconfessed sin. There's something that you think that nobody else knows. It doesn't matter how many messages the preacher preaches against sin. You've got yourself at a place where you just put the mask over. You can turn it off. You can just kind of look through it. You've stopped opening your Bible now because you've convinced yourself there's, there's nothing in there for you. You're not getting anything any longer. And that's because there's unconfessed sin. That's because you're feeding your flesh and you're letting your flesh control your life. And the Spirit of God has tried to, tried to convict you. The Spirit of God has tried to lead you, but you have chosen that sin and you're no longer, you're no longer doing what you once did. There's no longer joy. You're easily offended. The reason why is because there's unconfessed sin. I want you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19. Verse number 15. Proverbs 19, 15, the Bible says, Slothfulness casteth unto a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter number 10. Ecclesiastes. Verse number 18. Ecclesiastes 10, verse number 18, if you would please. The Bible says this, By much slothfulness, by much slothfulness the building decayeth. Through idleness of the hands, 
the house droppeth through. I believe this, many are offended, many have lost joy, many there's unconfessed sin, and for others maybe there's laziness in serving the Lord. It's too much work. As I said this morning, I'd like to know, I'd like for us to seriously answer the question, what's more important in our life than serving God? What's more important than giving our talents and our time to the Lord? What could possibly be more important to the life of a Christian? And going into the highways and hedges, what could be more important than, than going and serving others that have a great need? What could be more important than, than someone giving their life? I'm not talking about just giving a little bit of time, but I'm talking about giving themselves so that God can use them. I think we've convinced ourselves that we need to live a balanced life and, and that, that, that's, that we, 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 can't, we can't do too much of one thing. And, and so what we've done is we began to live an unbalanced life because we're not serving God anymore. I mean, we're running our family everywhere. We're running every kid to a different event because we've got to let them grow up to be balanced. And, and what we're doing is we're missing out on the godliness. You know, I remember, I remember there was a time, I remember there was a time when I was growing up that uh, we wanted to play on a, a, a church little league team and, and we were able to do that because they didn't practice or play games on Wednesday and they didn't practice and play games on Sunday. How many of you remember those days? You know why they did that? Because they knew, they knew a lot of their players couldn't play because their families went to church. They did that because a lot of the coaches that were coaching were Christians and they weren't going to coach. We don't live in that same society anymore. And Christians, they just go along with that. They'll run their families all over the place so that we live a balanced life, but we won't get them to church and we won't get them to things of God because there's so many other more important things to do. And then they grow up and they want nothing to do with the Lord and church and we wonder why. Because we told them that other things were more important. We've been to every ball game, but we've never opened the Bible with our children. They've heard us yell and scream at the umps, but they never heard us pray outside of a dinner table. They've seen us get excited when they hit a home run or made a goal, but, but they didn't see us get excited when we led someone to the Lord and told somebody what Jesus Christ could do. When it came to the things of God, we were tired. When it came to the things of God, we were busy. We wonder why things get torn apart. I want you to see the next. Psalm 143, if you would please. Psalm 143. You still with me? Psalm 143. Verse number 4. David writes this, therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is desolate. I believe there's so many Christians around, if we're not careful, the pressures of life have caused them to sleep. Here the psalmist is saying, I'm overwhelmed. Here the psalmist here is saying that the pressures of life are great. His heart, his spirit is overwhelmed within him. His spirit, his heart with, within me is desolate. What he's saying is this, the things of life, the situations I'm in, the pressures of life have got me down. Listen to me, Christian, that's exactly where Satan wants to get you. 
He wants you to get to the place where life has you so burdened. He wants you to get to the place where life has you discouraged. He wants you to get to a place where you wake up and you say, is it even worth it anymore? But I want to remind you, the Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. There ought to be nothing, nothing, nothing that keeps us discouraged from serving the Lord. Listen, I know life is difficult. I know there can be things that come, but there's entire chapters and books of the Bible that are written to encourage the believer to keep serving the Lord and keep fighting and keep serving Jesus and occupy till he comes and stay encouraged because this life will soon be passed, but only what's done for Christ is what's going to last. Listen, I know life at times can be overwhelming, but don't let it get you to the place where you stop serving Jesus. Pressures of life. Luke chapter number 12, if you turn there with me. Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, verse number 18. Luke 12, 18. The Bible says this. And he saith, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will be a I bestow all my fruits and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for me for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto me, Him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then, then whose shall these things be? which thou hast provided. So is he that layeth up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Number six, I believe this. Many Christians are asleep because of wrong priorities. Because of wrong priorities. Things may be used to, used to put Christ first. Now, if we're not careful, the average person in America has gotten themselves into so much debt. They've convinced themselves that they can't give. They've convinced themselves that they can't tithe. They've convinced themselves that they, they, they can't give the Lord or the work of the Lord. They've convinced themselves that, that they've got to pay down this debt. They've convinced themselves that they've got to work two and three jobs so they could pay this debt off. And they're living now with the wrong priorities, no longer serving the Lord their priority now. Now they've got to do whatever they can to get out of debt. Got to do whatever they can. The priorities are now different in life. My wife and I, we got to the place just not long ago. It seemed like we were just running ragged everywhere. Just, I mean, go, 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 go. We'd see each other in the morning and, and say, what are you doing today? I don't know. What are you doing today? And we get kind of our schedules meet and we'll see you, we'll see you tomorrow morning because we're going to be too tired when we see each other tonight. We sat down and we said to each other, this is not how we can live. I can't just go through having a wife I never see, having a wife I never enjoy, having a, someone we live with, but we don't really have a marriage. See, that's not what we want our children to see. That's not what we want our children to be an example of. You know, we had to sit down and we sat down one evening and we said this, we need to make sure our priorities are right. We need to make sure that serving God is the most important thing on our list and, and taking care and loving each other is the next thing on our list. Listen, you can live your life. You can have a day where at the end of the day you think to yourself, where did time go? 
How many of you ever wish for another hour in a day? I said to someone just this past week, I said, boy, I need another day in a week. And they said, where would you put it? I said, I think between Saturday and Sunday. And wisely, they said this, you just end up doing the same thing on that day as well. God gave every, every person 24 hours in a day, and you know what he expects from us? To be good stewards of it. The problem isn't we need more money. The problem isn't we need more time. The problem isn't, the problem isn't we need more of anything. The problem is this. We need to submit ourselves to the Lord and be good stewards of what he's given us. And we start that by making sure our priorities are right. I've got to be done. I've got children that want to take and get some ice cream. Christian, are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? Listen, I don't believe, I don't believe for a moment the best days of Christianity are behind us. I don't believe it. I don't believe, I don't believe, I cannot believe that serving the Lord, the best days of serving the Lord are behind us. I think if we're not careful, we get into believing that because we've fallen asleep. And we've let other things into our life that are taking us away from serving the Lord. I know I'm preaching to the Sunday night crowd preaching to the choir. But Paul said to Timothy, in the latter days, some are going to leave the faith. Paul said to the church at Corinth, I preach this to you not to shame you, but to warn you. Church, we've got five weeks. Easter Sunday. Spring into action. Spring into fellowship. Baby dedication day. And we're going to we're going to, 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 to have a grand reopening of the nursery. I saw this. Is Lindsay in? Where's Lindsay? She, they might have been out of town. I realized this. We made a mistake. We got an interior designer for the nursery director. That could lead to trouble <laughs> and be expensive. She's got big ideas. And we said, go ahead. And she's got people putting up wood and drywall all kinds of things happening we got a lot of babies i just found out two more this week we are we are changing all the drinking fountains out in this church change them all out because all you got to do is drink the water bring your own cups ladies <laughs> listen there's families. There's young children. There's teens. And they need some adults to wake up and live that victorious Christian life once again. Have joy. Come to the house of God looking for something to be excited about, not looking for something to complain about. Did you see Paul Savage? He raised his hand while he was leading. And he, he made you clap today. He made you. He put a gun to your head and said, clap. Clap.
Listen, we need to have joy. This is an opportunity that we can get into our community and serve. There's several months that we have planned where we're going to serve our community. There's several activities that we have planned so we could be and have fellowship and enjoy each other in the house of God. But we've got to be sure that we are ready. Come prepared. Get out of our slump. Get out of our sleep. Get out of our slumber and say, I'm going to serve God again with joy. 